about it right now, everything's okay. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what kind of stuff is going on in your life, underneath it all, everything's actually all right. Hi again, it's another episode of the High Hopes podcast. This is Richard and I'm joined by Caroline Barry, a queer Irish journalist living in Nottingham since 2012. Uh, They have been writing professionally for 15 years now, alongside stints in makeup artistry and radio. Their focus nowadays is in local news writing, but they've written about many topics, including but not limited to ADHD, sexuality, fashion, sport and cannabis. And uh, some of you may remember there was a print interview with them in the Green Lens last year. Um, So I'll just go right into the questions. Thanks for joining us, Caroline. Thank you for having me. Um, So this is one that Nicholas uh, popped right in there. What sparked your interest in journalism? Oh gosh. Um, well, I both of my parents were not journalists, um, <laughs> so uh, I came from a very uh, magazine and newspaper heavy household. So okay. there was constantly stacks and stacks and stacks of things. Um, I think both of my parents had about four magazines that they subscribed to each. You know, we got daily papers, radio was constantly on. And when I was a kid, I read consistently and, you know, I can still remember uh, some of the features that I read when I was when I was really, really young. And I don't know why, but it's uh, it's it's always been features that have jumped out at me. And I predominantly am now a feature writer. (laughs) So that's more than likely where it started. Okay, and. um... How much would you say your old blog, Miss Penny Dreadful, led you to more work as a writer? Oh, 100%. If I hadn't have started that blog, um, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing now. Um, it It was just something I started because, you know, I mean we're going back a disgraceful amount of years and uh you know it was a it was a new thing and um I just started it because I was a student uh I wanted to talk about fashion because I couldn't afford any fashion (laughs) and weirdly it worked um I don't know was it right place right time whether it was my writing whether it was what I was writing about but it all it all combined I think and yeah from there, I started to realize that people were actually reading it um, and coming up to talk to me about it as well. And um, I started to think like, well, what if, because I'd graduated from uh, Limerick School of Art and Design at that point, And I was like, well, what if okay. I could actually do something with this? So I had moved to Dublin and I decided to do a master's in journalism. And at the same time, I started working um, with different magazines and radio stations in Dublin as well. But mainly the blog weirdly kind of took on a life of its own when I moved up to Dublin and I started working with loads of different um, PR companies, uh, loads of different brands. And it was kind of uh, a really good taster into what 
you know the life of being a journalist but um yeah kind of kind of working for myself really how did you find the early days in nottingham uh in terms of settling in and finding work um it was hard like it was hard i didn't know anybody here so i i moved over with uh with a friend and but i had no family i had no ties to nottingham so i didn't really know what like the first time i saw the city was when i landed here um and it was it was difficult to to meet people and to 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 get kind of started with things but um i i just started volunteering for absolutely everything i possibly could um you know and it was it was hard um but not as difficult as i'd found you know trying to get work in dublin uh, in 2012 because at that point you know we were at the we were at the absolute peak of recession and it was the worst year for emigration i think that we've had since the 1980s there was something ridiculous like uh 53,000 people that emigrated that year alone yeah Uh, and you know at that point i sort of felt like there, there was there was absolutely no work and I'd kind of come over to England expecting oh you know it's it's every everyone's has a recession on at the moment everyone's struggling and I expected to uh struggle here to find work for a lot longer than I actually did and okay. um yeah I ended up um I ended up working part-time in in makeup artistry for for, for a long time a good couple of years and uh working as a journalist part-time uh almost immediately weirdly <laughs> that's great that's so that's so great that mm. that it worked out that way mm, i got very lucky like uh but i think i think in saying how lucky i've been i kind of do myself a disservice in a way because there was an awful lot of hard work as well like oh of course was, yeah Oh God, there were so many like nights where, you know, I'd finish a really long shift and, you know, I'm seeing back to back clients and do, you know, doing makeup all day and I've been on my feet as well. Yeah, and then never easy being on the feet for hours on end. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, back pain as well, where you're lent over people and, um, right. And you're you're just you're talking all day as well. So you come home and you're physically exhausted, you're mentally exhausted, and then you realise my editors asked me for a deadline. Or um, at, for a good couple of years, I had uh, various radio shows around Nottingham as well. So I would have to um, get up at absolutely. I had a breakfast show at one point, and that nearly killed me. Um, that oh, was God. unpleasant. <laughs> alongside the makeup artistry and uh writing oh yeah and the best part was just to make it really spicy one of the best things was i i would always guarantee i'd always be working weekends because it's one of the busiest you know busiest times for a makeup artist and um i would not get to have a proper night out because i finish work at six o'clock and yeah i've got to go back straight back in on sunday so I'd have my my day off on a Wednesday because my show was first thing on Wednesday morning. So I'd always go out on a Tuesday night. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Because that was my that was my version of a Saturday. That was the closest thing I got to it. And you know, a couple of pints and then you're having to get up the next morning at like, you know, be in the studio for like ungodly hours. Yeah. Unpleasant. Oh, it was yeah. 
I loved it, but it was it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it sounds like it. Um, Nick was wondering what differences, if any, did you experience working in journalism in Britain compared to Ireland? Straight away, uh, it is a lot more open here, and they embrace um, regional journalists. Like, so working in Dublin, I felt was it was very closed to Dublin people. Um, yeah. I felt like I like I'm from West Cork and I'm very proud of that and I will you, you know I'll always admit to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Love but, Cork. Yeah, and but the thing is like people people that come from where I come from which is, you know, it is it's Rathbury like it's a very tiny village. We mm. don't often appear on the radio. Um yeah. And for me I I found it very closed. I found it very hard to push through. I found that it was a lot of the stuff that actually mattered to people within the community that I came from were just never discussed. Um, and that's also across the board as, as being part of the queer community as well. I also found there wasn't a lot of discussion and a lot of, at that point, I don't know, obviously I'm, I'm, don't know what it's like now but um at that point a lot of the uh magazines that were for the the queer community felt like they were very focused on men okay. so when i came here it was really nice that um it was a lot easier to find jobs uh that was that's not just to do with the with the type of you know the differences in the recession here versus back home but um yeah media places there were a lot more jobs and there were a lot more um entry-level jobs there was it wasn't closed off like obviously london and manchester are always going to be hubs but there was a lot more in terms of you know and it's it's happening even more so now because you know you look at like the bbc has just announced a major expansion into like you know Wolverhampton and Leeds and places like that so that's right there's a lot more spreading out where people and that means you know I can be in Nottingham because we have a BBC hub here we have you know we have a a good local press here we have but back home you're not just stuck in that London bubble or anything you know you don't have to be you don't have to be forced into that you you can be more regional and like they embrace identities and lifestyles and niches a lot more, I would say, yeah. Absolutely, and I mean, um, I don't, I, I don't see the same thing happening uh, in Ireland. I, I kind of see it as mm. like it's got, it has gotten better. In if you look at, um, there's a lot more regional kind of, you know, there's a lot more. Cork has got its own Corpio, and there's. Uh, there's, there's a Galway one as well that I can never remember the name of it, which are Reach publications, which is, you know, similar. I mean, it's it Reach is a, a UK um, and soon to be US media organization. But, you know, so yeah. it is it is improving. Um, but certainly when when I was at home, it, it felt like um, it felt really, really difficult to to get work unless what you were willing to do was do work for free. And like, let's face it, during a recession, that's the last thing you want to have to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's already oh, yeah. hard enough. So, 
Oh yeah, like um, I, I would see absolutely ridiculous jobs being advertised and, you know, I, I'm, I'll hold my hands up and say I did a couple of them, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're giving up like however, you know, two, three days. I mean, I remember doing um, a photo shoot or not a photo shoot, sorry, a, a film in, yeah. um, I can't remember what part of Dublin it was, to be honest, and it was three days and it was unpaid. It was all exposure, yeah. Exposure, yeah. And sure, we all know how exposure pays rent, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What, you know, how did you like uh, radio work compared to writing? Would you consider returning to it? Or or are you still involved in some way? Oh, I would love to go back to radio. I really loved it. Um, I I must have done because I worked ungodly hours in it, Um, you know. (laughs) I went from having a breakfast show to having one that was very, very late at night where I would have to to get home from the station at one in the morning. And, um, you know, I I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. There's and also worked in in Ireland for uh, News Talk for a brief period of time as well. Um, There's something newsrooms are one of the best, um, you know, one of the best places to be in if you're, you know, a born and bred journo. They're, they're right. fun, they're thriving, they're like, when a story breaks in a newsroom is absolutely addictive. Like it is so much fun and it drives you. Um, mm. But there's something about a radio newsroom and I think it's the live element where it's just, you, you have that kind of level of excitement the, the whole, whole way through. The just in thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I'd love to go back to it. I really, really would. Um, I do feel like potentially that's a little bit harder here at the moment. There doesn't seem mm. to be a lot, a lot going at the minute. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't rule it out for the future, though. Yeah, never say never. Um, yeah. And how did where, where was that question? How why did you get involved in clay shooting and sports reporting in around 2016? Did you enjoy that compared to other work or or was it more of a means to an end at the time, if you're allowed to say that? Um, oh God, it's so it's, it's so random and so out there and different from what anything that I've done before or after. Yeah, and I, mean, I, went, I don't think I've started... ever been clay shooting. I'd love to try it actually. <laughs> It's really good fun, actually. <laughs> um, I was surprised the first time I tried it how much how much fun it was. Um, so yeah, I, I I took a year off where I, I went out to Italy and and just taught English and travelled around and drank a stupid amount of wine for one person. And when I came back, I went back. I, I sort of went back into makeup artistry temporarily just while I got my my kind of my feet. Uh, sorted and uh, you know grounded again and um i just happened to have an absolute random by chance conversation with someone who was hiring uh within the clay shooting industry and i realized very quickly that there weren't a lot of people that um looked like me <laughs> within oh, okay. the industry who were journalists yeah. and you know it was mainly content being written by men um mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I kind of saw a niche for it and, and went for it. And it was, it was really interesting because we were, we were reporting live on, on 
different competitions and different shoots and and different events but then we were also I would do articles on you know the most random things like uh how how to make sure clay shooting traps are in good working order and things like that and it's okay it's it was a good it was a good challenge I am not an engineer at all (laughs) (laughs) I had to learn very quickly you know how to how to write technically how to write informatively and also how to become an expert in you know something as like bizarrely odd as clay shooting trap maintenance (laughs) yeah I mean I I imagine that would definitely brush up the skill set in terms of 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 articulating like just describing the more technical side of things but keeping it at a pace that people would find it you know understandable relatable and yeah was there any particular eureka moment or moments that led you towards cannabis and harm reduction journalism oh gosh um so i started um i started working for the cannabis and vape around in 2020 like january 2020 and uh i I had been looking for a full-time position in, in journalism and that, and that just happened to come up. Okay. And so I fell it, I did fall into it by accident, but when I got into it, I got completely and utterly fascinated by it. And yeah. it was, it was just another world. It was, and I, I started to meet people that um, were having their lives completely and utterly transformed by cannabis. And also as someone who had, was a smoker years you know years ago and and went through the hell that is is quitting uh cigarettes you know looking at the vaping side of things as well i could see and i was interviewing people that had you know cut down from 40 60 a day and were now non-smokers right so i have enjoyed sort of getting involved with different causes over the years like um repeal the eighth and Maref and things like that and this kind of felt like another area to me that i could see the logic and yeah. i could see that both cannabis and vaping were getting absolutely demonized by politicians press you name it so it was the more i i kind of started to work on it the more i got really passionate about no this is this is actually really helping people and i want to really help people by writing the 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 type of articles that i was well still yeah, am actually. Um, <laughs> i i actually only uh got into vaping myself more recently with that stores on bickle uh vaporizer um myself and nicholas hadn't really dabbled um prior to that really so we're kind of newbies when it comes to vaping um you've written about using about how using cannabis and going to the gym both although they're very different things really but you've written about how they both help to manage your adhd what benefits do you find you get by incorporating them into your life um well i so i i struggle a lot with um hyper focus and hyperactivity and i know that that's the the sort of uh the thing that people associate the most with ADHD that that hyperactive element um and it's yeah it can be a blessing um you know if you're you're sort of especially when you work in the type of job that I do where I'm constantly running from one from one 
part from one job as I call them to to another where I'm you know interviewing somebody on one side of the city at one point then I've got to get to the other side then I've got to go to an event and it's ah but then I come back in the evening and my brain is going at an incredibly quick speed I need to be able to switch off but I've also got like more deadlines when I get home I've got like books that I'm working on I've you know I'm doing all these different things so over lockdown, um, I realized that the, the separation between work and home was gone because I was now just at home. Mm. And I started to really struggle because I was noticing that I was now working till one in the morning because I couldn't switch my brain off. Okay. So cannabis, uh, I discovered cannabis first because uh, lockdown, couldn't get to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so... It helped me in, it, and I. This is the way I take it now. Is this vapor small bit in the evening, and that's that's it. It's done. It's mm. I can go to bed. I can rest. I can sleep. I can turn my brain off for a little bit, and I can just feel rested. Whereas prior to that, I would have just been. I mean, Bouncing the, off the ceiling, so to speak. Oh God! Like the amount of times that I would just get up because I couldn't sleep. And I might as well be working if I can't sleep. And it's two in the morning, you know. So then when the gyms reopened, similar thing, I found that I was able to take that little bit of uh, hyperactivity and and actually, you know, go and run for half an hour. Kind of channel it. Yeah. and, And just tire myself out a little bit and then come back up to the house and you know take my medication in the evening and just okay and breathe <laughs> yeah it kind of levels things out a bit you know I've, I've often heard in yeah. terms of ADHD that like having just a consistent set routine something to that you that you that you expect each day that sort of a thing can help um help you feel more rested you know um absolutely I hadn't realized how much the um kind of the the performance of leaving work had actually helped me in terms of switching off like that physical act of closing the office door you know or you shut down your computer close the office door you leave you you commute home and that's it once you're home that's that's it yeah and um just i mean lockdown changed everything you know uh and um yeah that separation that switch off was gone Great, yeah. Um, Nicholas was wondering, how have you found writing local news stories more recently? Were there any local stories that particularly stood out to you? I, I, I love what I do. And it's, it's funny because I started out in such a niche area. Every All of the journalism that I've done, well, actually, no, I suppose most of what I've done has been, you know, quite niche, <laughs> like vaping and then <laughs> clay shooting and, you know. You were chatting to Santa today, I saw, Santa Claus. I was. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Santa <laughs> in the of a tropical greenhouse. Um, for someone, <laughs> as you do. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you just, local news is the most bizarre thing. And it's anything goes, like anything is, is potentially a, uh, a news item. Yeah. And you no two days are the same do you know what i mean like yesterday i into i went to a 
shooting range that someone had built um, underground in the city centre, you know. Oh, cool. And then two hours later, I went and met Santa in a tropical greenhouse. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and Definitely a diverse know. work schedule going on there. And it's, do you know what? If you've got ADHD and you've got a short attention span and you need that dopamine hit of finding something new and, and different and, and novelty to hold your yeah. attention, it is a godsend. But mm. in terms of stories that have stood out to me, um, I suppose the first two that I can think of straight away um, are obviously things are rough here at the minute they're rough everywhere cost of living energy crisis things are absolutely just horrendous um for people and the part of nottingham that i live in at the moment is is sort of being slowly gentrified and and you know we're sort of struggling with the uh, coffees shops where you have like your your 10 pound um sausage baps and like um outside the front there's you know um food kitchen stuff right and it's very so i joined the food kitchen um for an evening and actually hand helped to hand out food and and interviewed the people involved and spoke to people that had come up and um you know really really quite vulnerable people both through um circumstances through mental health uh issues and it was it was so incredibly moving to watch um you know a group of about five or six people that just gave up two nights a week to come down that you know they're not getting paid for it like they're not getting anything you know they're doing it purely because they just want to help people and um yeah it was on so many levels utterly utterly heartbreaking to 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 witness it to be honest it was one that I've came away from feeling, you know, quite moved and quite quite emotional, actually, to be honest. Um, yeah. And the second one was a similar thing. It was um, uh, like a, a, it's kind of, it's a thing called Food Print in Nottingham, and it's basically a um, discounted food, but like an extremely discounted food supermarket that, is set up to provide for again for vulnerable members of society that, that may not be able to that, that are really struggling at the moment and um we went down and we I spoke to like um you know this woman in her 60s who had taken two buses to get there um yeah. across the city and then when the second bus wouldn't accept her her bus pass didn't work or something happened she'd walked the rest of the way Oh God! Um, okay. Yeah. So it's um, sometimes you know for all the super fun days where I get to go to new restaurants opening and like I get to go to festivals and things like that. There's the ones that I really, really appreciate doing are those type of stories where I get to speak to people that often feel like they're ignored and. Um, show people that you know that this is still happening and and there's yeah there's very very it's very easy to fall through the gaps and to need these kind of services and to highlight the good work these people are doing as well there are some fun ones as well though i i did um 
one that I can mention on a, on a lighter note. <laughs> um, I, I interviewed John Lydon from the Sex Pistols. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's always good for a couple of quotes. <laughs> oh, my God. It was brilliant. He was everything He's I needed. Him machine. He was so good. Um, yeah. Because, like, sometimes when you interview, um, particularly, like, the younger kind of celebrities, they're, they're very versed in, like, saying the right thing, the PR spin, the kind of, you know, it's very slick yeah. and very, I don't want to say rehearsed, but routine rehearsed. sort of. <laughs> yeah. 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 So honest to God, like he, he came on Zoom, which again is rare because often a lot of the celebrity things they're they're like, uh, they can't, they, more often than not their phone, their phone interviews. Yeah. And uh, it was just him in his house chatting away. And like, he, he was brilliant. He was great crack. <laughs> he's, he's hilarious. I mean, I, I would actually yeah. love uh, to chat to that man. I'm sure he's full of stories and opinions. Oh, it, it was amazing. Like we spoke about, um, you know, he'd come to Nottingham in the 70s. There was a um, Virgin Megastore displayed the artwork for... Um, you know, never mind the bollocks. And yeah. the manager got taken to court for, I think it was blasphemy or something, something along those lines. And um, yeah. himself and uh, Richard Branson actually came to Nottingham and um, went to the, the court case. And it, it, it wasn't successful, but it, the guy was okay. Do you know what I mean? They, it, yeah, they won basically. Um, and then they went on a big pub crawl afterwards. So he was telling me all about that and, um, you know, talking about his gig. And I was, I, it was just as, you know, a surreal, surreal I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sitting there, like, you know, with, with my mohawk and my piercings. And, you know, I grew up listening to punk and I am a punk. So <laughs> it yeah. was like. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's like quite literally meeting a hero. And, and, and the hero actually living up to hype, you know. Um, yeah, I always enjoy looking at old interviews with him. He, he just always uh, says the funniest things and he doesn't hold back, you know. No, that's, um, that was, I was nervous about that, actually, to be honest, because I didn't know what he was going to say or do. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> He's not known for being predictable. How do you feel that social media has affected your work in journalism? Oh, this this is a big um, this this is a big area because so when I first started, uh, I went in with and there was there was so much um, skepticism and distrust of pe online journalists at that point. Yeah. You know, they they used to refer to us as citizen journalists, well, which is a horrible. I still hate that, <laughs> but there was kind of uh, it is, isn't it? Uh -huh. But they used to. Um, there was this belief that like, you know, um, like a snobbery really of like, but I, I now look at it and I, th I think maybe it was more of a fear of, you know, the old way of print and, you know, that's changing and now with 24 seven news and, and online. Yeah. And I don't think the industry a hundred percent made its peace with that. Um, I think there's a very uneasy balance with, well, how do we do this? And I mean, that's that's 10 years on and we've still not sort of solved that. Mm. But then we got a second blow when social media came in, because now it's not just competing with the, 
you know, 24 seven news. We've got to have something going out at all times. It's, we've now got to figure out how to beat algorithms, how to, how to reach our audiences in a totally different way on, in, on social media, as opposed yeah. to the website, as opposed to the newsletter, as opposed to, you know, and each platform is very different. Mm. So it's meant newspapers are now doing well god what what do we do with this you know what right <laughs> what do we do and there's so, always all that looming you know clickbait left right and center clickbait mm. headlines and there's the like you know point yeah. by point twitter threads of like news that's just you know arrived um yeah it's it's exhausting because for me on a personal level it means that all of my social media has to be topped up and and kept going and dms you know messages open um you know i i'm i'm never offline i'm never yeah. offline I, it's a constant constant feed of stuff um which is quite difficult um and it's quite time consuming and stressful um, the minute that a new platform comes out, I need to know about it, know how to use it, know how to, to post on it, you know. And now I kind of, I relax, I, I've relaxed a little bit more about that, actually, to be honest, because there's no way in hell I'm ever going to use TikTok. But um, <laughs> so I, I, I agree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's really, really difficult. Um and it's yeah it's it's it has changed everything um but i don't i don't know what where we go from here because it's eating itself a little bit at the moment you look at like you know twitter's yeah. collapsing around us the um twitter alternative that uh, everyone's joined at the moment is absolutely in my eyes it's absolutely rubbish um it yeah. just doesn't it just isn't working in the way that it it needs to. Um, Facebook, you see more from groups than you do your friends, and Instagram. I haven't been on that in years, anyways. Personally, mm. yeah. Yeah. So we. This is the problem with you know when you join these new platforms as a journalist, you've got to stay on the old ones as well. So you end up having a collection of social media accounts where you know you just sort of. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> Got to juggle them and like cross post and, and and keep them all topped up, like you were saying. Yeah. Right. So I guess I'll just finish on a on a high note here. Can you tell us anything about your upcoming first book revolving around ADHD, sex, and relationships? Um. Yes, I can actually. Um. So I Brilliant. I wrote it over lockdown. <laughs> I it yeah it was um. Unfortunately, I, I had a relationship breakup uh, during, you know, the very first few weeks of, of lockdown after two years with somebody. And um, it wasn't great timing um, as breakups usually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of started to look at, um, you know, what had caused the what had caused the split like and, and I had been wondering whether or not my ADHD had contributed to, you know, certain behaviors or, you know, certain, you know, whether it's negative or positive things about the relationship. And 
um, started to do research into it and found it completely and utterly fascinating, but also found the research that was out there just did not reflect the diverse community that I was seeing out there where I was coming across queer people, trans people, non-binary women, you know, all these these people. And yet the studies, um, you know, the books were repeating the same thing, you know, Mm. talking predominantly about men or talking very binary, man, woman, that's it, (laughs) you know. And as for talking about sex, there was absolutely nothing. Like the amount of books that I would tear through and, you know, they're talking about work, life, everything. And then there's this tiny, tiny, tiny section or like half a page that goes, oh yeah, and this is how it might affect your sex life. Right. Sometimes it might complicate that. Moving on. (laughs) You might find this and it's, oh. And some of the advice as well that I found that was being given I was like, are you actually serious? Like one book recommended going for a 10K run with your partner in order to bond. And I was like, are you uh, like, wow, what? (laughs) Yeah, definitely doesn't apply to all couples. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, I was in loads of different like uh, communities, both um, in person and, and online, well, as unfortunately during lockdown as as in person as you could get which wasn't much but um you know I was talking to people who had ADHD who were telling me about like being into kink um you know they were into like all, all sorts of stuff and it just was not being reflected at all in what I was seeing out there so I started to write, I started to look at my my own life, my own experiences, um, my own sex life as well. And, um, you know, sat down and wrote a book that's going to absolutely horrify my parents. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. Like, we've had very frank conversations about, you know, uh, what to expect. But the... Um, yeah, it covers lots of different areas. So it looks at hypersexuality. Um, it looks at um, sex toys. It looks at um, kink, uh, masturbation, all these different areas. And uh, it's predominantly, um, it, it. well, I mean, it's not predominantly. It, it's talking about women, non-binary and trans people because, again, we're just not discussed. Just to acknowledge those people, yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean... I read a book for, um, it was one of one of the books I read. It was it, like the guy had interviewed 3,000 people, some with ADHD and some without. And it was solely based around uh, sex and relationships. And there was one tiny little mention at the start of the book that said, I couldn't find enough um, LGBT people. So this is a book of... He probably didn't go looking too hard. People. Like, yeah. what? what? Oh my God. In this day and age. Yeah. yeah. I know, so well, it's hopefully cool. hopefully coming out um, early-ish next year. So um, I'm still, uh, it, it's very strange because like working in journalism, everything is very quick and, you know, yeah. your editor needed that article yesterday and it's, it's online, like literally you blink and it's up. So for me, working on something that's taken as long as it has with the, you know, the publishing side of things and and all the rest of it like the 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 interviews and everything it's 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. book is another beast altogether i imagine um that's, yeah, that's really yeah. cool though it sounds like it's going to be a fascinating book and uh, i'm looking forward to having a read myself at some stage so best of luck with that and um thank you, thank you so much for joining me this evening and for 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 having a chat and um yeah do you want to plug any of your socials or any of that kind of thing so you can find me um, on Twitter at Caroline, that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Debarra. Okay. Um, or you can find me on Instagram as well. I'm under Penny underscore Dreadful underscore X on uh, on Instagram. So th- those are the main two that you can that you can reach out to me on. Um, they are amazingly on private, so you will have to request. But uh, yeah, if most if you're sound <laughs> no. please if don't slide in <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough caroline all right well um thank you so much for your time again and um thank you all for listening to this episode of the high hopes podcast see you next time bye bye <laughs> <laughs>